You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Lacrosse Boots. Now, if you guys haven't had the opportunity to check out the Navigator Series, it's a brand new lineup from Lacrosse. They have the Windrose for men and women. They also have the Atlas, and that's what I wore during my rut vacation this fall. Check them out. They're very comfortable. Uh, it's a traditional rubber boot kind of mixed with a traditional hunting hiking boot they've mashed it together and the outcome is the navigator series check it out at lacrossefootwear.com this is the hunting gear podcast and just like the title implies we cover all things hunting gear and equipment from discussions with the top manufacturers to product reviews from past hunting experiences, our goal is to provide you with reliable and unbiased product information in hopes of educating you on new products and assisting in future purchases. I'm your host, Dan Johnson, and this episode of the Hunting Gear Podcast starts right now. One. All right. On the phone with me right now is Josh Dalkey from Hunt Stand. How you doing, man? I'm doing great this morning, dude. I'm actually just uh, about ready to get out of the house. I've been penned up in here, and I've got some turkeys that are waiting for me across the border in Wisconsin for Friday. Turkeys. Fall, turkeys. Fall yeah, can turkeys. You it? Oh yeah, Wisconsin goes all the way through the end of December, so pretty fortunate to be able to get out of the the madness i feel like the shining right now i feel like i'm locked up in a hotel <laughs> chasing twins down a hallway yeah man it uh this this uh weather in iowa has been pretty mild compared to last season um but we don't ever talk about strategy on the hunting gear podcast but how are you going to approach shooting turkeys in december you know, I I don't want to – I probably shouldn't put it this way, but it's almost not even fair this time of year. Um, and I think the I think the states that do have turkey seasons that run this late um, obviously have thriving populations, and they're, they know that they have a surplus of turkeys that they can allow hunters to take. And, frankly, there just aren't that many hunters out there that are willing to go out this time of year. Uh, turkey is usually the last thing on their brain, but – as a turkey fanatic, it never really leaves my brain even after late May when I finish up spring season. But in, in terms of getting after them, they're so flocked up right now that if you can just find out where the birds are and if you have access to that property, whether it be private or public, 
Um, they're going to be on food sources. They're going to be scratching up here where there's some decent amount of snow on the ground and cold temperatures. They're just out there trying to make a living and get through the winter. So fortunately where I'm going over in Wisconsin, I know there's uh, a couple of different flocks that are on this property and sometimes they merge um, depending on where they're moving and mangling during the day. But um, I'm going to go out Thursday evening. I'm going to look for fresh scratchings out in some of the remaining agriculture and just some of the cut crops that they've been scouring and then I'll try to put them to bed just like you would in the spring so I don't have to wait too long in my blind to try to shoot one uh, when they fly down. Do you call it all? Yeah so it'll actually be my friend Alex and I. Uh, Alex is the editor of Outdoor Life and him and I ended up getting this lease together and we sort of stumbled into it uh, back in September and it was it was too good to be true. So uh, we are going to go out, we're going to set up decoys, we're going to call, and we're going to probably try to make as much noise as we can because I feel like turkeys later in the season like that or even really early in the spring, um, well, turkeys are always a little bit greedy, but definitely late spring, in the winter, um, when they're just really concentrated on food and trying to stay alive, yeah. if they hear a bunch of other turkeys making racket somewhere they think that they're into something good that maybe they haven't haven't gotten into themselves yet so we'll do a bunch of calling um, mainly just uh you know yelping and cutting and maybe even some fighting purrs because they're they're sorting out the pecking order every single day of the year uh, a lot of people think they just do that during certain parts of the spring but they're always out there trying to um sort out that hierarchy and be dominant um, the males are yep yeah they're just they're crazy birds. So yeah. we'll call, we'll put out five or six decoys or as many as we can dig out of our storage unit or garage and try to lure them in. But um, hopefully we're just already going to be where they want to be. I mean, that nothing works better than that. Yeah. I tell you, man, I've never done any type of turkey hunting in the fall. So it's always been spring. I've seen them from the tree stand late season. I've seen them from the tree stand in November, you know, during the rut. But I've never went and bought, well, I've probably bought a tag with good intentions, but never, you know, I said to myself, well, if one comes close, but I've never actively hunted them. You know what I mean? So um, maybe that's something I got to try uh, around here some year. Well, I really, really, really love eating turkey so i try to shoot as many as i can every year uh primarily in the spring the fall is more just if i can find time to get out but usually by this time of year my supply from the, the spring is dwindling and i try to ration it throughout the year um but i i really have a hard time buying domestic poultry so i, I try to shoot as many turkeys as i can spread them throughout the year and then coming down to december here i'm I'm really in need of some fresh turkey meat. So what's cool about somewhere like Wisconsin is a couple of different things. You can shoot males or females. There's no restriction on sex or they don't have to have a beard. And believe it or not, in Wisconsin, in a lot of places, there's such a surplus of tags that you can virtually go out and shoot unlimited turkeys in the fall. So I could go buy, I could, I could go out and buy 20 tags and shoot 20 turkeys for the rest of the season if I wanted. Now, I'm not planning on doing that. I'm, I'm only going to go out and shoot one or two 
if I'm fortunate to connect with them, but it's a pretty unique opportunity and it just goes to show how well they've done with managing their turkeys. There are numbers to support that kind of hunting. And like I said earlier, there just aren't that many hunters. So you're, you're hardly even putting a dent in them, even for a guy who does want to go out and shoot five or 10. Yeah, man. Well, good luck, man. Hopefully uh, you don't get frostbite and hopefully you kill some turkeys. (laughs) Well, being the, being the fact that this is all about gear, like the gear situation is, is pretty simple. You know, it's, you're going to be a lot better off sitting for a long period of time. If you can get in a, some kind of ground blind with even a buddy heater, turkeys don't care about that. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, the warmest stuff you can find some snacks. Um, I am debating whether I'm going to use a crossbow or a shotgun, but the benefit of using a crossbow, uh, if you were trying to get multiple birds is typically you're not going to spook the whole flock when you shoot. So yeah, absolutely. I'm, uh, I'm up in the air about that. Well, cool, man. Good luck. All right. So today we're going to talk about hunt stand. Um, and you kind of were the, the creator of hunt stand, correct? Actually, no, I'm not the creator. Um, the creator is a gentleman named Lanford Holloway, okay. who is uh, located in South Carolina. And the company, um, the umbrella company that um, sits over Hunt Stand is called Terrastride. And so the inception of Hunt Stand was approximately 10 years ago. And um, nobody knows this story in better detail than Lanford himself. But he did it as a project when he was, uh, I believe, when he was in business school. And he just started it from an idea that he used as a, a project in, in college and ended up turning it into one of the biggest hunting mobile app companies in the world in 10 years. And uh, Scout Look sprouted up at about the same time. Similar story, not a school project, but a couple of hunting buddies in New York were sitting there in deer camp and they couldn't figure out where to sit that morning. And they realized that they were looking at way too many different things spread out. They had maps and weather radio and laptop pulled up and all these handwritten journals and stuff. And they said, Hey, someone's got to put this stuff in a mobile app. And so scout look and hunt stand, um, as luck would have it started at almost the same time. And frankly, we were fierce competitors for the past 10 years. Yeah. And, uh, we, de- we just decided, um, late last year, we, we got into some talks and we said, you know what, rather than continuing to fight each other, why not join forces and become the biggest versus one of the biggest, uh, you know, each of us were, were significant players in the game and we just decided, Hey, let's just do this together and, and rock it out. Yeah. So that's the, the first thing that I wanted to talk to you guys about was, um, you know, people always like a little business insight. You know, they like to see behind the curtain. How how did that whole thing take place, that merger between two companies? Because obviously, from a business standpoint, nobody wants to give up too much and, and no one wants to feel like they got shafted in a merger uh, like that or when a, a company gets bought out or, you know, because I, I feel like when you start a company, there's a lot of pride in it. And so with the merger of hunt stand and scout look and then now scout look isn't a thing anymore right you guys have absorbed them and scout look is no longer a a brand what is 
What, what did that look like? That's a really, really awesome question. And I do think, uh, it's a pretty intriguing story for people to hear. And, uh, honestly, it's, it's probably not a story that a lot of companies would be willing to share, um, after a merger like this, but, but we are willing to share that story. Um, and I think it speaks to a bunch of different things about the integrity of our respective businesses, which are now one business. And, um, so we went into this thinking, um, so scout look, and I was with scout look at the time. Um, so I was working for a couple of gentlemen named Cy Weikert and Bill Little. They're the two co-founders of scout look. They're still very actively involved now after the merger, but, we had a strategy meeting and we said, all right, what, what should be our next big move? Because we've built this audience. We've built this user base. We've built out a tool set with our mobile app that people love and frankly are addicted to. And I mean, once, once you start using it, it's uh, it's kind of the hook. It's hard to, it's hard to stop because it's all based off of saving information and locations. And once you get somebody who's using it and is in that universe, um, they become loyal to it. And so we had done a great job of, of building all that up. And also our media side, we produce a lot of content to also serve our audience. Once they come in as a app user, we like to give them even more. So articles and videos and information and whatnot. And, uh, so we just, we had that meeting and we said, what's going to be our next big move. We can continue to add features. We can, we can continue with aggressive user acquisition and trying to build our user base, but is that really the best decision? So we said, you know what, why don't we start, why don't we start just doing some outreach, talk to some of the other players that are out there. Um, you know, for a long time, it was scout look hunt stand and Onyx maps. And we've started to see over the last couple of years, um, some new players have been coming in. And so we said, you know, let's just have some exploratory conversations for those who are willing and we'll see where this thing could, could go. I mean, who knows what kind of synergies we might discover. And so when we spoke with Lanford at hunt stand, we click, we quickly realized that they were doing some things better than us. We were doing some things better than them. And they just happened to complement each other in a way that it made so much sense that after uh, about a month of conversations, we started to move forward with what would ultimately become the merger. Gotcha. And so what, so, what were some uh, of those examples of things that you were doing well and things that they were doing well, or maybe you guys were struggling at and they, uh, and they were struggling at. So, it became very clear to us after uh, after both of our respective brands essentially, you know, lifted up our skirts and, and really showed what was under the hood. Um, I'm talking with with numbers and some some strategic elements and things like that. Um, it was clear that HuntStand had done an awesome job with user acquisition and building out a subscription model, which is, you know, you you go into the app, we have a free version, we have some paid features, so you can remove ads by paying a couple bucks, you can get the pro version with enhanced map layers and so forth for a couple bucks. So they had done a really good job of building that side of the business. And we had done a better job of monetizing 
through our content and advertising. And so that's, that had been our focal point for most of the time. Their focal point had been the subscription model. And so just, just that alone, I think, was enough for us to realize that there was a serious synergy there and we could, we could each help each other out if we just joined forces. But um, also with, with just the feature set of both of the apps, we, we had a lot of features that overlapped, but then, um, you know, HuntStand was clearly doing a really good job and in investing heavily in continuing to build out their feature set. Right. And so all these things combined, it just, it just made sense to the point where, I mean, it started as just a handshake agreement. And then as things got formalized, um, nobody ever, nobody, there was never a point where we said, ah, are are we really sure we should do this? Like there was never a point where there was cold feet. We just knew after those first conversations that it made sense. Right. Right. So then the merger goes through and, um, what were some of the things that came out of the, uh, the birth of the new company. So maybe some functionality, some uh, benefits for the, the user. Well, um, first, first I'd like to touch on something uh, interesting that you had asked a few minutes ago, and that is, you know, the growing pains and, you know, the, the pride and how scout look as a brand is, is no longer and things like that. And I, I would like to say, um, you know, Cy Weikert and Bill Little, the two co-founders of scout look, they're, they're successful businessmen. Um, they own some other businesses outside of the hunting and outdoor industry. And having known those guys now for, for about almost 10 years, um, they are, they are some special individuals and those guys have never once had any sort of stutter step when it comes to their, their business and integrity. And, um, more than anything, they wanted to take what they had built and just make sure that it could be the best possible product and serve as many people as possible. And even though they had spent all this effort building up the scout look brand and the name and being, being the guys behind it, they, they realized that the best thing for the business and for the users was to join with HuntStand. And even though that meant losing the Scout Look name, um, that, that's really irrelevant to them because they knew that, that what they had built was going to become an integral part of moving forward with HuntStand. And even though it's just the, the name changed, per se, um, they, they knew that what they had done and everything that they had invested was what would allow us to come together and, and just kick ass. Yeah. That's cool, man. When, uh, there's no ego, you know, when, when, uh, synergy happens without it being forced. Uh, I think that's a really cool thing. Not just in, not just in, in business, but in life when, when, you know, you can meet up with another person and click with them about anything. Uh, and and gain a friend or gain uh, you know a, a business partner or uh, just another communicator. Uh, I think that's really I think that's a, a really awesome thing. It is, and, and unfortunately, at least from my experience, it's it seems to become more rare every day. Mm-hmm. Um, 
egos do get in the way. And, and on the flip side, I can also say with, with completely genuinely, uh, Lanford on the hunt stand side has, I mean, we've, we've been a team from the moment we decided to be a team. We've been a team. We communicate every single day, basically. Um, even though we're spread across the country, I mean, it's nothing for us to give each other a call at 7 PM on a Tuesday or, you know, while we're, while we're eating dinner or something, if, if we need to discuss something. And, uh, also Cy and Bill are still, I mean, every decision that's made, they're still a part of the process, if not, um, triggering a lot of the, the things and the ideas. So the, the really cool part, a lot of times with a merger, you know, you end up losing people because of efficiencies, quote unquote, but our entire teams on both sides remained intact for this merger. So we didn't, we didn't lose a single person and everybody's still actively involved. And that's, that's because, um, you know, yeah. the guys who are running the show here are, are good dudes and they, they realize that everybody, we need all hands on deck. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So the, the merger is a success. Um, back to the question then what, uh, what were some of the benefits that came from the merger for the end user? the new capabilities, new functionality? You know, I would say probably the biggest thing is uh, that we did have some crossover between users who were using HuntStand for certain features and users who were using ScoutLook for certain features. And what we've been doing since we, since we came together is we've been evaluating every feature that both apps had and getting user feedback, which believe me, there's been a lot, um, and getting feedback from folks within our team and just power users who we know on an individual basis. Um, actually, the guy who helped uh, put together this phone call with us today, Tim Kent, you know, he's, a, he's an avid user. So we have a lot of folks who are weighing in. It's not just us sitting, off in, a, sitting in a closed-off room trying to decide – what features we want to add or subtract or that sort of thing. So I guess the short answer is we were able to combine the best of both worlds and make it easier for people so that they're not having to go to multiple resources. And that's really the cool part about HuntStand compared to some of the other apps that are out there is it's really comprehensive. So it's not just, property information it's not just weather it's not just game logging it's not just content it's everything and we've been trying to scale that in a manner so that it serves the end user and also as we're building it it doesn't overwhelm people because you know it takes a little while to get used to new features so if you drop a whole massive feature set all at one time um a few different things can happen it can overwhelm users to the point where they think it gets too complicated. And also, um, you, you might not get very good adoption of those new features. So for instance, if you, if you launch like 10 new features at one time, somebody might key in on three of them that are really obviously meaningful to them right when they launch and then they forget about the other ones. So as a, as an app company that's based on 
all these interactive features, the, one of the big hurdles for us is educating people. Um, Cause there are still some features in hunt stand right now, like our trail camera management that I'll talk to people and they don't even realize it exists because they're so focused on saving their locations and using the property line and landowner information and getting the weather. And they're like, Oh, you guys got, you can manage your trail cameras in there too. And it's like, yeah, you can. Um, so we need to do a better job of making sure you know that, but it's, it's kind of a, it's a, it's a complicated equation and it's, it can be difficult to balance at times, but we try to take as many inputs as we can and then um, funnel those down to whenever we make a decision. And uh, one of those next things that you're going to see that people have been begging for for a long time is uh, the ability to, to save your maps, cache your maps for offline use when you don't have connectivity. So that's going to be coming down the pike here. <laughs> Could even be next week, to be honest with you. That's awesome. Uh, and speaking of, uh, you know, uh, the maps and uh, uh, caching them, uh, Tim told me that they're they're really fast. What's the importance of having fast catching maps? Well, for somebody who hunts in an area regularly or maybe is traveling to hunt, um, regardless of, of where you're hunting or how you're hunting, time is more valuable than anything. And I feel like when I, I don't know about you, but I feel like when I go on a trip, out of state to hunt or even out of the country. Um, I feel like from the moment I pull out of my driveway, the clock is ticking down. Mm-hmm. And so I'm trying to constantly figure out, okay, what's going to be the best way for me to utilize my time. Do I want to eat a sandwich in the truck today? Or do I want to stop somewhere to eat? Or do I want to just stay out in the field and, and have my lunch? Like I'm, it, it's all about time. So when it comes to anything, especially like with caching maps, you don't want to have somebody, sitting out in their truck trying to wait an hour for for them to try to save a map area so that they can actually lace up their boots and and go off the grid and be able to rely on your tool um you want to get that to them as fast as you can because like i said uh you ever seen that movie uh, with justin timberlake where everybody's wearing that like watch and it's the, it's the countdown oh, of yep. their life yep absolutely that's kind of how i feel when i go hunting out at when I leave home to go on a, a traveling hunt, it's like, and unfortunately I can't just go rob time from somebody else. Like you can in that movie. Uh, that's a crazy movie, by the way. It is. Um, so, so, uh, you know, I, I completely get it. You know, I, I, I get, uh, the, the, uh, the second you step out of the, the door, you're on a countdown until you went, you know, until you need to be back. And so, you know, I understand the importance of the, uh, you know, of the, the maps, uh, loading, uh, as fast as humanly possible. Uh, the next thing I want to ask is about the data, uh, the landowner data, uh, property lines. I feel like just myself looking at maps all the time, uh, trying to uh, stay up to date with who the landowners are in area so I can, you know, uh, knock on their door, try to gain access. Or, you know, if I shoot a deer, it hops a fence and um, it goes onto a different property. I always like to, uh, you know, knock on the door of the the landowner before I go traping through their property to try to get access to uh, go look for the deer or whatever, you know, any, any reason. Um, 
what is the importance there of having the most up-to-date uh, land owner and property boundary um, uh, data? Well, um, so first, first I will say, and I'll make it very clear, and, and any company that's that's involved in providing this sort of data, um, there's there's a disclaimer somewhere. I can assure you of that, but it's uh, legality is a big thing, um, and so even though anybody, like I said, anybody who's providing this type of data has a disclaimer that they're not liable. Um, so if you do cross the wrong fence based on the information that's in an app, uh, whatever app that is, whoever's running it, it makes sure that they're not liable for that because as you can imagine, it's uh, it's kind of complicated keeping all of that information up to date, but um, for somebody to be able to at least look at property lines and know that there's a fence line, that that, that fence line that you're looking at actually is a property line. Um, you know, how many times have you been out hunting where you might see a, a cattle fence or something on some ground that you're unfamiliar with and you haven't had a hunt stand type of app with you and you don't cross that fence because you just think it's property line and then you, later you learn that, oh no, I still had a whole other 80 acres over there that I could have went and hunted. Right. Um, at least this gives you the, the confidence that it's a property line. So you know that if you're hunting Billy Bob's and Jimbo lives next door, um, if, if you see a property line there and you're not supposed to be on Jimbo's, then, then you know that that's, that is actually the line. Now, when it comes to the actual landowner information, that can be really helpful for being able to walk up to somebody's door and address them by name and ask for permission or just start to build a rapport with them or even in some cases, maybe be able to send a letter to them or a Christmas card or whatever it is. But uh, the, the ability to have that information at your fingertips while you're in the field is immensely valuable. And um, there, are, there are only a handful of ways to source that data. Um, and a lot of it is actually related to like real estate because um, as you can imagine, um, like for real estate companies, property lines are uh, a pretty important factor in how they're uh, plotting out properties to be able to sell and lots and whatnot. But um, there's been an interesting progression in that technology and it has become more readily available to, to get it and then be able to build it into an app like ours. Yeah. Um, so, so um, it's, it's, it's a complicated game. Yeah. So how long from, let's say, let's say I owned a piece of land and I sold it to somebody and uh, now they have ownership of it. How long does that typically take um, from the sale of a piece of property to uh, all the way to update on your app? Well, it's, I can't answer that question specifically. Honestly, I don't know like if there's a precise like time frame, but usually it's within, I would say like a month or two because it has to go through that whole process where it actually gets registered with uh, the county or whatever the body is that's, that's legally managing that. And then 
it has to go to, um, I guess, it has to go to the main uh, collector of that information that you can source it from. So there is a little bit of a lag there. So uh, are we so talking? There, are we talking? Little, are we talking like a, a month? You would think, or a year? I think it's. I think it's probably like in the the month or months time frame. All right. So you know, we've already talked about uh, the data being up to date on there. The next thing I want to talk about is the in the uh, the imagery, the visual app itself, uh, and the different map layers. Um, what are users going to be seeing, and what are their options going to be for uh, the the topo lines, the map imagery, whether or not that stuff's up to date as well? Yeah, so what's cool with uh, our most recent update, which is HuntStand Pro, that's our premium version, is with that you get a bunch of different map layers. Um, so just going down the line, you've got, you've got your typical satellite view, your hybrid, you've got a layer with the property information, you've got hunting land, you've got public lands, you've got tree cover, which can be really cool for a bunch of different styles of hunting. Um, especially like, for example, late season whitetail hunting. I learned, uh, I learned this little bit of advice from a close friend of mine who's a Native American who lives on an Indian reservation. He's, he sat me in front of a tree lot one day, late season. We sat there in my truck for two hours, and he basically told me, <laughs> it, was, it was crazy, he, he, went, he told me exactly what the deer were going to be doing as we were sitting there that day. And one of the things he noted was he said, look at the canopy because, you know, it's late season. There's snow on the ground. There's no leaves on the trees. But he said, look at the canopy and, and look at areas where there's a higher concentration of canopy. So where trees are bunched more closely together. He said, now take your spotting scope and look under there and see what you see. And sure enough, just about every Spot where I visually looked at the canopy and saw that it was thicker and then went down to the base, there were deer laying there. So interesting that tree cover thing. Yeah. It was actually I wrote about an article about that and some of the, his other advice for uh, deer and deer hunting several years ago, but it was, it was unbelievable. So now I, I actually use that and I, you can, you know, if you're looking at a ridge or something, you can say, okay, it looks really thick right there, you know, cause you're out there glassing and, Everybody has their glassing strategy and how they do grid patterns or this or that. And if you're really in a, in a time crunch or something, that's a good way to do it. If you're looking for deer, because they're probably going to be situated near that heavier cover. Um, so that's the tree cover layer. Uh, natural Atlas shows you things like, uh, ATV trails. That's pretty cool. And then you've got the terrain map which just gives you a little bit better representation of what the terrain actually looks like from overhead. Is that, and you is got that couple... with uh, a topo imagery as well, or is that ter terrain relief map and a topo map separate? It's uh, it, it, so it does give you some t topographical lines in that. Okay. Um, but, but then there is, uh, there are actually, two other topographical map layers that you can tap into. Um, 
but those ones don't show the terrain um, visually as much. So it's more so just the lines on a flat image. Right. Uh, now on the on those topo maps, um, does the user have the ability to control um, the the lines that they're seeing? Because you know, if you go on uh, Google or you know, looking at topo maps, there's there's times where a uh, the the terrain can be misleading because the topo lines are far enough apart to where it won't show uh, detailed terrain changes. Um, do, do, how far away are your uh, topo, or what are what's the elevation change for your lines, and is that able to be adjusted? You know, um, the the lines are a little bit different across the th the three different map layers that that actually show you the lines you cannot adjust them but what i will say is we now have one of the things i was going to get to that that's like a game changer is 3d view so you can go through even just in satellite mode and you can cruise through a property or a mountain range or maybe somewhere out in the Dakotas. I know you did a, a hunt out in the Dakotas that sounded like it was pretty fun. I listened to one of your podcasts about that. Um, you can, you can cruise through in that 3d mode and it's like you're there. So you can, you can actually see the steepness of ridges and terrain features like, like you're literally standing there. So that is unbelievable. So you can and, use your uh, you use your fingers to uh tilt the angle that you're looking at the terrain and see the the 3D imagery of the of the the area. Exactly. Okay. Cool. Exactly. Yeah, so you can even you can even just, you know, cruise around a a piece of flat ground maybe on a field edge with with some timber adjoining it and you can find little gaps in the timber and you can really look closer at trails and and stuff like that. So I, I use that a lot since we launched it um, early in the fall. And uh, just about every time before I would go out to hunt, I would use that even if I was just going to a tree stand, because I guess with with a hunting app like this, to me, the coolest part about it um, is essentially it allows you to hunt from home. I mean, I can sit there on my couch. And I'm big on visualizing my hunt and trying to visualize success like right. when i go when i go to a place i like to already have an idea in my head of how it might go and you know sometimes that works out that way sometimes it doesn't but at least you can go in there then with a confident strategy and you're not having to second guess yourself to a crazy degree because if i go in somewhere and i don't i don't know what the hell i'm about to get into every step I take, I'm like, ah, oh, should I even be going this way? Should I even be here? Like it's, it's just a mind game. So to be able to sit there days or weeks or even just hours in advance and be able to cruise through a property, figure out your entrance and exit strategies, determine what the wind is going to be as part of that. Like all those little details that you can figure out before you even get there. And it could even, it could be a place you've never been before too. So right. For me, that's being able to use an app like this. That's that's probably the best part. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and then the the next thing that you guys kind of uh, uh, are known for is your scent cone, right? And uh, how that works. And I, I take it that plays in with the 
the the weather forecasting as well, correct? Yeah, absolutely. So um, with Scout Look, we called it Scent Cone. With, with Hunt Stand now, we call it Hunt Zone. Um, the difference is uh, it still shows your, your cone, but Hunt Stand actually gives you sort of an estimation of distance with that. So you'll see the cone, but then you'll also see out to a hundred yards, um, sort of an estimation of the area that that cone is impacting. So it gives you some, some degree of scale. Is that and, based uh, off that, of that adjust- wind speed? Yeah, it's, it's, uh, yeah, it's based off of wind speed. Um, but it's really, it's, it goes from zero to a hundred yards. So it just shows you like, it just gives you a quick snapshot. So you can say, okay, uh, let's say you put it on your tree stand. You can say, okay, like this is what a hundred yard looks, hundred yards looks like from the stand. So you know that if it's a, you know, if, if you've only got a three mile, if you got a three mile per hour breeze or something, um, Obviously, it's it's probably not going to impact as far downwind, right. but it just it gives you just a something to look at to to have some sort of like basis. Right. Do you guys ever see yourself um, implementing that um, that function with terrain? Uh, how terrain affects wind? Because you know, just being blunt here, that scent cone or, or that hunt cone is great. But as we all know, just because the wind is blowing out of the West doesn't mean the, the wind is blowing out of the West. You know what I mean? Like, uh, if the, if, if, an oh, app, yeah. if an app says, uh, it's blowing out of the West, the terrain and the vegetation and all these other things go into how the, the, the wind and your scent carries through the timber. Do you guys ever see yourself adding, um, uh, a functionality to where it would like an algorithm or something that would allow um, to forecast how the wind is actually moving based off terrain. Now I have to. Now I have to wonder if uh, if if maybe our conference room has a bug. <laughs> I take it that I'm not the first yeah, guy to dude, recommend that. The the short answer is yes. Yeah. Uh, I, I can't get into a ton of detail on it, but, um, another example to point to. So, so the short answer is yes, but, um, the old school way of figuring out how terrain interacted with wind direction and ultimately your sense stream. Uh, I'm sure you're familiar with Craig Doherty, which, uh, you know, he, he passed not too long ago. Um, well, he, uh, I had a conversation with him a while back, probably three years ago. And he told me what they used to do is they used to go out to their tree stands on their hunting properties and they would go out there with a whole team of guys. They'd have one guy go exactly where a tree stand was. And they'd have a bunch of other guys surround the area and they would make notes based on the, the prevailing wind direction. And they would literally light off a smoke bomb and watch based on prevailing wind direction, where that smoke would blow yeah. in relation to the terrain. And they would map their scent streams on a physical map on their hunting properties. Yeah, that's crazy. So they'd go out there during a North wind, 
a west wind, a south wind, and an east wind, light off a smoke bomb from all their stands, and then they would know, um, give or take a couple variables. I mean, you know, there are, there are a number of things that can affect that, but they would at least know in general, hey, if we've got a west wind from this stand, 100 yards down, it actually curls and starts going south. So if we know there's a, a deer, if there's a bedding area to the, I can't remember what directions I just said, but with southwest, um, that we know that we can't sit that stand, even though maybe we have a, a south wind or whatever it is. Yeah. It's, it's counterintuitive to what you would think until you actually investigate it based on terrain and, and thermals and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah. So the, I think uh, it'd be a good idea if somebody like us put that in an app. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That would be crazy. Um, having i don't know how you would do it 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 would be absolutely crazy because uh um a couple things when it comes to weather you know i go to weatherchannel.com or uh, the weather app to see what the the wind's doing what the wind speed is what the temperature is and the thing that i've noticed about forecasting weather and wind is that that information could be coming from 30 miles away uh the the weather that I go by um, or that I have to go by uh, is based off of the airport in the town closest to my hunting property. And although that uh, hunting property is 25 miles away, that information is um, is given me when I put in the zip code. It just it I guess it calculates the the closest data point, and uh, that can be completely different based off of uh, whether or not a front's coming through. Uh, you know, I've had times even this year where uh, the and the app I use or the weather app that I use, uh, I think it's like the Wonderground or the Weather Channel. I, I check multiple, and it says that oh, there's a south wind, but actually it's a east wind or actually it's a west wind uh when i get to my uh, you know when i get out to the farm so i have to make a you know make a change there um do you guys pull like where do you guys pull your weather data from and your wind direction from (laughs) well uh in terms of proprietary info, I can't really say exactly where we pull everything from. Right. But what I, what I can say is that we do pull from multiple sources and we try to pull. So something like wind, we try to pull from the best sources that we can find for different factors like that. Right. Versus just trying to pull everything from one source. So um, anecdotally, I can tell you that the place where I did a lot of tree stand hunting in Wisconsin this season, for instance, I checked my hunt zone days in advance, hours in advance. And before I stepped out of my truck and I would actually carry some milkweed with me and I would let that go before I got out of my truck just to verify, even if I feel like, okay, clearly that's a North wind and I can feel it blowing against the side of my face or something. I still would, would let one of those things ride in the wind to see where it's going. And uh, I can say with 300% honesty that out of all the sits I did, morning, evening, or afternoon, I think I did a total of 15 sits out there. I never had it fail me. Okay. So, so fa- fairly accurate. Really accurate. 
Okay. Um, and then, you know, when it comes, when it comes to weather, right. Cause another bullet point here that I want to talk to you about is three and five day weather forecasting. Um, I don't know how the weatherman in Iowa, the local guy has a job still. Uh, you know, we always, we always, <laughs> we always make fun of the weatherman around here because you know it's uh today he said there was going to be sunshine and well i'm looking out the window right now and i haven't seen the sun this morning uh or you know hey you know they're we're gonna get you know we're gonna get one inch of snow we end up getting eight or we're gonna get eight eight inches of snow and we're not we didn't get any you know so um so how accurate are those three to five day uh weather forecasting options on the on the app Man, based on my experience, and I hunt all over the country, I, I think I probably hunted like six or eight states this year between turkey season and big game seasons. V- very accurate. Okay. Very accurate. Like, now, let me say this, because uh, obviously you're putting me in the hot seat as somebody who is here to, to represent HuntStand and talk, talk good about HuntStand and things like that. Um, but I don't, I don't want to come across to anybody who's listening to this as just Joel marketer, right? Um, nothing, nothing is foolproof. Nothing. There's, there's not a, there's not a technology out there that's foolproof. And when, when you're talking about environmental conditions, um, the, the whole joke about, uh, weathermen not, you know, being the easiest job in the world and all that, like there is definitely truth to that. Um, and it's because at the end of the day, Mother Nature can rain on your freaking parade, whether you like it or not. And <laughs> right. Right. W- weather is a, is a, a volatile science. So, um, somebody like HuntStand, we do our best to be diligent about sourcing the information from the best places we can. But none of them are foolproof, and and for that matter, with weather conditions, there are only so many weather stations out there and actual instruments that are actually deployed on the earth that will even collect that data. So it is limited. Like there, there's not one, there's not one comprehensive solution that just beats them all. And it's, uh, as you could imagine, weather is a multi billion dollar business. So there is some competition out there, but it is, it is fragmented. So it's not like, um, someone, someone like HuntStand, you can't just, there's, there's like no secret sauce. Like there's right. not one source you can go to where you can say, okay, we're going to pay the most to get this information and have it exclusive. And we're going to have the best. Right. It's like, okay, all we can do is look at all the potential data sources and as educated individuals and users of our own product, try to figure out what works the best. And I think we've done a pretty damn good job. Okay. All right, so now let's talk about, uh, you know, we're starting to wind down here, but uh, let's talk about some of the other functionality uh, that goes along with the app, and let's just kind of how how you think maybe a whitetail hunter versus a western hunter may use uh, your, uh, your, your app. Yeah, definitely. Well, I mean, at, at its core, you know, the, the biggest thing is being able to save your hunting locations um, so that you can quickly access them, whether you're on the road or whether you're sitting on your couch, like we talked about earlier, doing some digital scouting from home. Um, 
that that in itself is priceless. And then when you tie in all the other tools to that location management, that's where it becomes super powerful. So with Hunt Stand, the way that we allow people to organize their their saved locations at this point, you create what's called a hunt area. So rather than just being able to drop pins anywhere arbitrarily across the country, we have you create a hunt area so it allows you to better organize the areas where you typically hunt. So, so for instance, with you, uh, was it North Dakota or South Dakota where you went on that hunt? South, South Dakota. So that South Dakota hunt, um, did you guys, if I remember, uh, did you guys stay at a little crappy motel or did you camp? We camped. So for you, uh, when you set up a hunt area for that, for that spot, you would set your campground as the focal point of the hunt area. So when you go into hunt stand, you go to that South Dakota, uh, whatever you'd want to call it, hunt area. And then you can save all your pins in that area relative to that hunt area so that when you, when you go to it and you access it in the app, all, all of your data is relevant to that area. So whether it's your, your farm that you hunt at home or somewhere where you go hunt on the road, that's how we have folks organize that information. So like with me, that lease in Wisconsin, you know, I have the, I have the main home site there, the, the dairy barn where the farmer lives. I have that set as the focal point of my hunt area. And so when I jump over to that to go look for my turkey hunt on Friday to see what the weather and wind is going to be doing, I can also see all the different spots where I might have ground blinds or tree stands associated to that hunt area versus just having a hodgepodge of, of locations and information saved all over the place. So I think that's pretty convenient. Um, but once you, once you have those hunt areas saved within them, you can save, like I said, just a second ago, tree stands, ground blinds, um, a scrape, a rub, uh, a roost site, a strut zone, a parking area, uh, and, and all of the pins have icons that allow you to easily associate it with those types of save locations. So once you start to build up this database through your account, it just makes it super easy to plan your hunts. And then that that's when you can start tying in the more sophisticated tools, like checking the wind with the hunt zone and looking at areas in detail with the 3d mapping or out West. I mean, just by the nature of the beast, hunting public land is a much bigger deal because there's more public land. Right. So right. you can you can look at our public land layer and you can find um, even block land management. Like I hunted uh, antelope in October in Montana and I was, I was hunting a lot of block land management, which is... Um, or is it block land? No, it's not block. I always say, I always get that mixed up BLM and BMU. So block management units, Yeah. which is private land that is enrolled in a public program. So landowners get a little kickback. Basically. Exactly. Yeah. So I could actually go through hunt stand while I was out in Montana through that public lands layer and I could pull up the block management units. And, uh, that's really cool because um, that, that is a, an annual program. You've got landowners coming and going out of that. So to be able to go and say, okay, that's the, 
That's the Bickle Cattle Ranch. Here are the boundaries. Oh, and by the way, you just you just tap right here and it automatically pulls up the ranch rules because a lot of those types of units have their own specific rules according to the ranch. Um, so you need to honor what that is. And they'll usually have like a one, one page PDF that shows you like, okay, don't go in this cattle pasture. You can only park here, blah, blah, blah. Like you might only be able to hunt certain types of game on certain ranches. So, rather than having to go through like Montana Fish, Wildlife and Parks website and go through their clunky mapping tool, you've got all that right there at your fingertips through HuntStand. So yeah. lots of different, lots of different uh, nuances depending on where you're hunting. Um, the, the public land stuff is huge for out West. Right. The, right. You know what I'm saying? Yep, absolutely. All right. So last, one of the last questions uh, I have for you here is what, Let's uh, talk about learning curve. Um, you know, with any new technology, uh, there is a learning curve that the users have to go through in order to know how to use it first properly and then second to get the most benefit out of it. Um, what do you see that learning curve as far as a time frame is concerned? <laughs> that, is a, that is an awesome question. And as... Uh, as, as the developers and the folks who are, in, are, are uh, tasked with educating people about our product, um, that, that one can be a headache because everybody has a, a different attention span and um, everybody's just different in, in how they can adopt technology and stuff like that. So, you know, maybe you get a, an older guy who just got an iPhone for the first time in his life and he's in his, 60s or 70s and his, his nephew shows them the app um you know obviously it's going to typically require a, a little bit more time but for somebody who's fluent with technology and, and mobile technology and apps and stuff like that um i'd say it's it's pretty easy and intuitive to get right into it if you download it and you set up your account and you go in and you create a hunt area um, that's, that's how I would recommend doing it. Go in, start one hunt area for maybe your favorite spot where you hunt and start saving some locations on there for your, your tree strands, tree stands or ground blinds or food plots or whatever, whatever things matter to you there. And then just start experimenting with it. But I would say within a day or two of getting familiar with it, you should be able to, to be, I would say even almost advanced. Um, okay. Awesome, man. Well, let's see here. Ending it out all out. Uh, you know, if um, you know, if a guy is looking to download uh, an app, uh, you know, why should they consider HuntStand as uh, their their digital mapping app? It's comprehensive. That's that is the best answer I can give. It's comprehensive. So. At this point, we have so many different features that you can choose to tap into. Um, some of them might matter to you. Some of them might not, but it's your choice what you use. Uh, you're never forced to use anything within it, but it's all there at your fingertips. So if you only want to get weather, you can use HuntStand. If you only want to see property boundaries and information, you can use HuntStand and get that for the, the least cost out of anybody who provides it in our market. 
if you want to see 3D mapping or just satellite views, or even if you want to just see where your buddies are hunting, we have a, a system where you can actually see on the map where your friends are, which is uh, great for planning and great for safety. Um, all these different things, trail camera management, managing your trail camera pictures, that's something we didn't even get into, but it's all there. So whether you're hunting out west for big game or birds, or whether you're hunting in the east strictly for whitetails, I would argue that we have everything that you need so that you don't have to go to multiple apps to get it. Okay. And pair that with our with our content and our videos for information and education and entertainment. Um, we we try to be a one-stop shop, and hopefully those of you who try the app agree. All right. So uh, if uh, if you've sold them on this uh, episode, where uh, where can they go get Hunt Stand? Where can they purchase it? Where can they find out more information? You're going to want to go to HuntStand.com. Um, that's going to be able to lead you, depending on whether you're an Android or Apple user, it'll lead you to the right spot. Otherwise, you can just go directly to the App Store or Google Play, depending on your device. Download the HuntStand app. Um, if you don't want to create an account right away and you just want to test the waters, you can get, you can get right into it without creating an account. Um, and then if you really want to take it to the next level, you go for HuntStand Pro, which is $24.99 a year. That gives you unlimited landowner and property information. It gives you the 3D mapping. It gives you the public lands layer, all those premium features with no advertising. It's $24.99 a year. Um, and hey, if you still want a printed map to put on your wall, like a lot of folks still seem to want in their hunting camps or in their man cave, you can actually export any of your maps from any of your hunt areas that you create in hunt stand, and we'll print you a map on um, a variety of different materials. We've got we actually did a video where the guys went out and showed people what the maps could go through. They they shot them with guns and drug them behind trucks and did all sorts of crazy stuff. But nice. nice. So we're still we're still letting you tap into the analog world too with the printed map. Perfect. All right, Josh. Well, hey man, I really appreciate your time. Thanks for uh, filling us in on hunt stand. And uh, man, good luck on those turkeys. Thanks, Dan. And next time around, let's uh, let's talk about hunting. <laughs>